And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Aquaman. Don't be stealing my shit. I I'm it's so funny when you send me the stuff that you're like, you haven't heard this? I'm like, no. And you're like, I'm, I did this like nine years ago. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I know I have to email myself, so it's it's there forever. That's funny. It's uh, yeah, I know it's funny the stuff that goes through your head. It's it's interesting because each conversation we have, it's like I learn a little more of the of the Justin Nugget. It's like in Major League when they each game they win, they strip off a, a part of the the cardboard cutout of the owner so they can yeah. see you in a bikini. That's but, what I do every time you uh, you tell me a story. My favorite line from that movie is when they're going over the roster, mm-hmm. and the one guy's like, "This guy's dead." <laughs> She's like, "We'll scratch him off then." <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, how the heck are you? I'm good, man. I am. So I think by the time this is posted, I will be on my way to New Zealand. I am excited. Uh, I'll be gone for about two weeks. So it's going to be pretty awesome. And I'm hoping to get out of this, you know, crummy weather we have up here in Seattle. Um, I went on a hike uh, yesterday and it was pouring down rain and it was a ton of snow. So we were soaking wet for about five hours. Uh, It's not what you would call fun per se but <laughs> i did it so i mean i don't know why i did it but i did it <laughs> hiking sucks i know how, how are you you have a very busy couple weeks coming up too don't you yeah 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 i have um new york toy fair this week um and then i have c2e2 um and then i'm home for a week and then i then i go to seattle so a lot, hey. a lot of action not yeah that's gonna be awesome that's gonna be very very busy but busy's good you make the monies yeah gonna go see book of mormon oh really cool yeah. in in new york uh no here in los angeles oh i heard it's excellent have you seen it before i have alex okay. has not though so taking her yeah i've heard it's very funny and i really want to go see it you know what's funny about it though is like i remember when i watched i saw it in 2014 and i saw it in seattle actually i saw it at the paramount and I'm sitting there and they're saying the most offensive things in the world. And I have like this 70 year old woman to the right of me just laughing. I have this 82 year old <laughs> old dude just laughing. And I'm like, that's it. I am not censoring my shit anymore. I am going to say whatever the fuck I want. If this guy can laugh and this lady can laugh at the horrible things they're saying, then forget about it. I'm no more censoring. <laughs> Well, like we were just saying, laughter is such a good medicine. It's just, it's so cool. So that's awesome. That <laughs> that's a good promo for the show too. I guess that yeah. they that you can get an eighty-two year old man and just laugh at it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, real quick, I watched. Uh, I think I recommended this to, to you because I don't think you've seen it yet. Uh, Knives Out from Ryan Johnson. Really good movie. Uh, I liked it way better on my second viewing. And I just really, really appreciated everything about it. And um, yeah, go see it. Two thumbs way up. It seems to be a pretty, uh, it seems to be a recurring theme with you lately where your second viewing is uh, more enjoyable. I, I wonder, know. I wonder I why that is. I wonder what, what, if it's a, if it's some sort of expectation or, or maybe it's just too much going on for you to process it all correctly. I wonder I wonder what it is that distracts you so much that you enjoy something a second time. I think that it uh I think with this movie, I mean like I saw it in theaters, saw it in a packed theater, there was a lot of people raving about how awesome it was. So I was I was like, This better deliver, this better deliver, and I kept thinking about that the entire time. And while I really liked it in theaters, I predicted how it was going to unfold and it kind of bummed me out because I was able to predict that. So I was being kind of a sourpuss about it. I didn't I wasn't like upset with the movie, but I was like, you know what? It, 
I liked it a lot. I didn't think it was amazing, but uh, on this second viewing without any expectations going into it and being like, look, I already know what's going to happen and just enjoying it. I thought it was just such a fun movie and everyone was so good in it. I did a pod snack on it and it kind of um, it kind of echoes what I was saying in that, too. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just it's a combination of different things, to put it shortly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but I'm very, very excited for today's episode because we get to talk about what movie, Justin? We get to talk about Sicario. One of my favorite movies ever. When someone asked me what was the best movie of 2019, I'm like, Sicario. <laughs> Dude, it came out in 2015. I'm like, well, you know what? Nothing's been better since then, so fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> it's your default answer. It each, is. Each, each year. It is. It's so good. So, I mean, it's like just a quick note about me. Like, if I had to, like, if someone were to say, Justin, what's your favorite movie? Uh, my go-to answer is always Jaws. But if they were to say maybe Rudy, I'd be like, that's a pretty good movie. That's probably that, You're right. Maybe that's my favorite movie. <laughs> and then if they were to say Sicario, I'd be like, goddamn right, Sicario. It's like the best <laughs> movie ever made. <laughs> so there's just a handful of movies that just kind of set themselves apart. And and I think emo- like emotionally, Rudy, I think, is just, just fucking blows me away. I can't stop crying when I watch that movie. It is like like whitewater rafting in my house when i watch that movie uh jaws i just love the feel of it and i love the tension and emotionally scarred and like just afraid of the ocean one of my favorite places in the entire planet that i'm just Mm -hmm. terrified to now visit because of that movie and then sicario where it just i am so uncomfortable and just so on edge that I love it so much. Being scared is one of my favorite things. And this movie just makes me uncomfortable and uneasy and just almost sick <laughs> when I watch it. <laughs> and yeah. I, I love that. I think it's crazy that it has the power to do that. And I'm, I'm in the safety of my own home. And there isn't like dead bodies lined in the drywall of my house <laughs> like at the beginning of this movie. Oh, oh it's, God! It's, it's just—it's just scary, and it's good, yeah. and 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 I love it. Holy shit, I love it. Yeah, I mean, for all those reasons and more, you know, that's what Christmas means to me, my love. But uh, yeah, so this movie was directed by Denny Villeneuve, who did Arrival, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and your favorite Paul Dano film, Prisoners. <laughs> um, <laughs> that guy's crazy. <laughs> and uh yeah he is slated to do the remake of dune which has a stacked uh cast list so that's pretty pretty excited um it was written by taylor sheridan he likes uh he likes the western genre kind of thing he did hell or high water uh he's he does writes for the show yellowstone and he did um i like hell or uh, high water that movie was good I, I liked it. I, yeah. I wasn't blown away, but I enjoyed it. Um, I think the cast elevated it to what it needed to be. Oh, I, totally. I really enjoyed it. Jeff Bridges was really cool. In that it. Ben Foster, he's a crazy person. He is. He always plays like a crazy bad guy, too. I know. Uh, and then Wind River. I remember I told you about Wind River a while back. It's a heavy movie to watch. Right? That, is, like, that is a heavy movie to watch. I, I watched that movie. I was like completely debilitated. I had injured. I hurt myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't like cut myself or anything, but I hurt my back. And I couldn't really move. And I'm sitting in a hotel and laying on the bed there off to the left side of the TV. It's never centered with the bed. It's always off to the side. And I'm watching this movie and it it scarred me, man. That's a hardcore movie to watch. I was not prepared. I had no idea what the hell it was about or I just knew that you liked it. And I was like, oh, yeah, fucking Rancourt's always rambling about this movie. Let's check it out. And then it just made me feel worse. I was like, man, people are terrible. I know. It was it was, it was, a hard watch. But I mean, same with Sicario, though. It was a hard watch for me. Like, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, my God. Just the violence. There's so much violence and hatred. So, yeah. Well, and, and but, it's senseless. It's like senseless violence. Absolutely. It's crazy. I could, yeah. I could never hurt anybody. <laughs> just, just killing people like it's crazy. Like, it's, it's fun. You hurt me all the time, Justin. No. <laughs> no, you don't hurt me. 
Um, so uh, this movie stars one of my favorite actors of all time, Emily Blunt, Benicio del Toro, Josh Brolin, Victor Garber, John Bernthal, Daniel Kalaya, uh, Jeffrey Donovan. Let's see. Eh, no one else who's really huge. Julio Cesar Cedillo. No one else who's really huge, though, in it, other than those big names um, at the start. But um, real quick, I pulled up the Academy Awards. So this was nominated for three Academy Awards in 2016. <clears throat> it was nominated for Best Achievement in Cinematography, um, Best Achievement in Music, and Best Achievement in Sound Editing. And it didn't win either or any of those. And this film was shot by Roger Deakins, who is a god. So it was Excuse me. It was interesting. Like that... What? Like oh, like... <laughs> um, so there is no that... Dana, only Deacons. <laughs> that he didn't win. But uh, I mean, look at what he went up against. So for 2016, Best Achievement in Cinematography, The Revenant, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, The Hateful Eight, Sicario, and Carol. Carol, I've never seen. So that's interesting to me. But I mean, Mad Max and The Revenant, of course, those are huge and hard movies to follow. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, so. it's crazy because like, uh, hateful eight, you know, it, it was shot very, very well. But yeah. when I think about the, this movie or, or, uh, Mad, Mad Max, Max. <laughs> it's, they're so different. And they're it's crazy to, lo- to lump those in the same category. It's just, it's just bizarre. Yeah, they're completely different. They're both so good, but for different reasons, I, I suppose. I agree. They're they're just different. And then um, Hateful Eight uh, won for best music because Ennio Morricone he was um, th- he did a whole bunch of westerns, and I think he was like eighty when he won this. So it was, that was pretty cool to see. But uh, Johan Johansson did the the score for Sicario, mm-hmm. and it was uh, you know it's funny that you say that Jaws is your favorite movie, and this is also one of your favorite movies because when uh, Villeneuve was talking to Johansson, he was telling him for the score, look at Jaws as as your your archetype, right? It's it the music is there for the tension. It it's not just a dun 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 dun. You know, it's like it's there to build that suspense, and it's a, it's a character in the film. And I completely agree. I mean, this watching Sicario was it had moments of tension that I've that are unparalleled that I've never had in in, in watching a movie. And I hate it, even though I know it's going to happen. I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> just like gripping the couch, and my feet can't stop moving. And yeah, I think the the music has a huge part in that. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, so. I'm just like, yep. oh my god, I don't like it. I'm dying. <laughs> and and then finally, it lost uh, best achievement in sound editing to Mad Max Fury Road, which we, you know, we were talking about that on our other podcast. Um, I think that that's reasonable. Yeah, it's that's not, that's fair. Not yeah, I do think that that being on edge from start to finish in this movie, a lot of that has to to deal with the music. It is just so unsettling. I feel like I'm being fucking invaded by aliens or something. Like I'm, I have no <laughs> idea what's going on, but it's like sensory overload, and it just drives me insane. Especially if you're like, if you have like a nice home theater or something, it just rattles your walls, both external and interior. <laughs> like my, there was a tingling in my loins watching this movie, <laughs> and um, it, uh, it's rough. So like and like all the music when they're that beautiful scene when they're getting to the tunnel and mm-hmm. it's at dusk and just that build up to it. It's this kind of almost noxious sound. And yeah, you're because you're with them. You're like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen in this tunnel. And oh, God, just, yeah, it just like rattles your core. It's so crazy. Totally. Um, do you have critical reception in front of you for this? I did. Hold on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it um hold please let's see we have we have chris mccoy from the memphis flyer and he's got some sweet sunglasses in his photo (laughs) (laughs) so we'll take him seriously uh del toro is a fantastic actor who has been failed by his scripts and direction time and time again not with sicario all right how about that? Debbie Lynn Elias from Behind the Lens. Fascinating. Non-stop, intelligent, visceral. Sicario cuts into the very soul with a rapier 
Um, and it's swift and intense. Sure. I'll buy that. It's my nickname, Swift and Intense. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> um, Brian, <laughs> Brian D. Johnson uh, from McLean's Magazine. John McLean. He quit being a cop, started making a magazine. The action is riveting, even if the heroine cop played by Emily Blunt seems unfairly outstripped by Benicio Del Toro. I disagree. I think they complement each other very, very well. I think they totally do. I think that, you know, you totally think that he's this man of mystery and they kind of have this unspoken bond and, you know, he he saves her and he's like, you remind me of somebody. Um, but then it completely flips at the end. So, I, I yeah, I think they have really good chemistry in it. Yeah. She's they're complete opposites of each other. The yin to the yang. Ooh, there you go. You like that? I do. I trademarked that. Okay. <laughs> Hey, our buddy Matthew Lucas from the Dispatch in Lexington, North Carolina. Go on and raise up. Take your shirt off. Twist it around your head. It's like a helicopter. How are his, how are his sunglasses? So he does not have. He's got the, the headshot. We get to see it all. That's great. Uh, a gritty, uncompromising film of real, raw power that offers one of the clearest and most complex cinematic takes on America's war on drugs we've seen yet. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, how about that? How about that? <laughs> uh, Ryan Syrek from The Reader in Omaha. Check this shit out. Uh, Sicario is often hard to watch and intentionally uncomfortable in the way that it's forgive in the way that it's forgivable thanks to the reality of its subject. It's not a tout action thriller as as to be touted so much as it is a bleak tragic thriller worth crossing borders for. Ooh, yeah, it's definitely tragic, and I think that there's an element to it. There's a couple elements that, that, that really strike me as tragic. And one of them has to do with a Mexican federale. Um, we can get into him uh, later in, in the podcast, but um, it is crazy how uh, the, what he, what is his normal day to day can can lead to both corruption and violence and ultimately tragedy. Yeah, totally. So, uh, there's one negative review. Oh, from Nicholas Bell. He's from ioncinema.com. As technically assured as all of this is, including one of the tensest scores uh, to feature in a genre picture in recent memory. Courtesy of Johan Johansson. <laughs> Sicario feels too hollow. Really? I don't know about all that. <laughs> wow. He's crazy. The only thing that's hollow is the bodies filled with drugs. Let the bodies hit the flow. Let the bodies hit the flow. That's what he was probably listening to when he was I would writing catch, that. I would catch that body. <laughs> Triple digits, baby. Triple digits. <laughs> <laughs> That means uh, I can lift over a hundred pounds for all you people wondering. <laughs> you know, he's so if, he's mas fuerte. If you got a big kid, you know, maybe like in fifth or sixth grade, that's that's pushing a hundred. I could I could carry him. No big deal. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, what are the box office numbers on this? What are the box office numbers? Not too great. Uh, as it turns out, this film had a budget of thirty million dollars, and it made a whopping. $400,000 opening weekend. Mm-hmm. That's uh, sad. And it grossed $46.8 million in the US of A with a worldwide gross of $84.8. So it made its money back. But uh, this is one of those movies that I think it took a took a lot of risk and it, and it was shot beautifully. And it's one of those ones where if you see it, you love it. It's just unfortunately not everyone has had the opportunity to watch it. And I almost wonder if the extreme violence in it, um, it kind of hurt it maybe a little bit. It's chances of of being more popular. You know, back in 2015, this was uh, a different time. All right. That's five years ago. You know, what's interesting is I didn't see it when it was in the theater and I didn't even remember it even coming out. Um, I, I red boxed it 
And I was like, Sicario? What the hell is that? Hey, I like Josh Brolin. Hey, I like Emily Blunt. Hey, I like Benicio Del Toro. And that's why I watched it. I had no idea what the fuck it was. And then I pop it in and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I'm like laying in bed. You know, I got home from work. I, I, I remember picking it up on my way home from work. And it was late at night. It was like midnight. And, and I pop it in. And I was like, fuck me. This is the craziest movie. Like, the opening, like, five minutes of this film just just made me realize that this is one that I'm just going to have to buckle in. I remember I even paused it really fast because I had to pee so goddamn bad, but I knew that this was it. Like, this is a movie that's going to just just rattle me to my core, and I love every second of it so far. I went and peed. I went and got a snack. I came back, and then I didn't move. I was like, Jesus Christ, this movie's awesome. And then once it was over, I was thinking about it. You know when you, when you can't sleep and you're just laying in bed? And you don't even have your eyes closed. Your eyes are just open in the darkness. I was thinking about this fucking movie till I fell asleep. And then when I woke up, I watched it again. <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah. And, and there's not too many movies that have made me do that. And mm. where I just like a repeat like immediately. But I was like, fuck, I got to watch this movie again. And um, and I and I loved it so much. And then I remember going on the Geek Legacy podcast. And I was like, have you guys even heard of this movie, Sicario? And Dave's like, oh, yeah. And he's just giving me this whole spiel. I'm like. God damn it, how come we've never talked about this? This is like the greatest <laughs> movie ever. And um, yeah, I just I, I fucking love it. I got I got nothing else to say other than I love it. Totally. And that's the show. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, totally. Um, you really got your your dollars worth out of that red box rental. I that. did. Technically, <laughs> it was the blue rage, so it was like two dollars. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't regular ray, it was a blue ray, so it was like more money. I see in all the rays. All right. A <laughs> uh, couple quick, fun little fact trivia things for you. So while ben- Benicio del Toro's character is frequently silent in the movie, he initially had more lines. In the original script, the character explained his background several times to Kate, del Toro said, and that gave me information about who this guy was. But it felt a little stiff to have someone you just met 15 minutes ago suddenly telling you what happened to him and who he is. So working with director Denis Villeneuve, uh, Del Toro began cutting some of his dialogue to preserve the mystery of who his character is. Villeneuve estimated they cut 90% of what Del Toro was originally intended to say by screenwriter Taylor Sheridan. Like Del Toro, Villeneuve saw power in stripping the character down to a brooding silence, stating the dialogue belongs to plays and movies are about movement, character, and presence. And Benicio had all of that. I would agree with that. I am very, very glad that he was shrouded in this mystery. And Del Toro was a very scary figure to watch in this film. Yeah, he was good. Um, <clears throat> when discussing the score with composer Johan Johansson, uh, Del- Johan Johansson, Johan, uh, <laughs> director Denny Villeneuve said he wanted the sound of a threat. The one film Villeneuve used as a comparison was Steven Spielberg's Jaws. So yeah, he wanted the music to be a threat. And you're right; it's just it's there. It, it's eerie it's it's pumping through you know your subwoofer and banging off the walls and whatever so yes thought it's blowing my woofers you ever had your woofers blown all right <laughs> <laughs> um the border crossing scene was one of the most complicated parts of the production it took so long to shoot that full scale that a full-scale replica of the Juarez border crossing was built. Shooting at the real location would have required days of road closures and simply would not have been practical. So, and we will definitely talk about that scene because it's on my list. But let me give a quick synopsis, and I apologize. I did not write this one. It is from Huggo from IMDb. So Kate Macer leads a Phoenix-based kidnap response unit for the FBI. Following Kate's team's Following Kate's team leading a raid on a known drug den in nearby Chandler, Kate is recruited to work on a special ops team led by Matt Graver of the CIA, he who is on special assignment for the Department of Defense. They recruited her because they wanted someone with tactical procedures knowledge. Outwardly, the team's mission, which works behind a Delta Force team as its primary gun power as required, is to decapitate a Mexican drug cartel by capturing or dismembering the workings of the main players, cartel head Manuel Diaz, his second-in-command Guillermo Diaz, Manuel's brother, and drug lord Fausto Alarcón. Kate agrees to the assignment as she feels the work of this team would be more effective in stopping the drug trade in the U.S. than the piecemeal work of her current kidnap response unit. 
The third on the team is a mysterious Hispanic or Latino man. Kate only <laughs> knows. That's what it, that's what it says. Uh, only known as Alejandro. And, and Ale, she Alejandro. Does, she does not fully trust as she can tell that he is suffering from a very traumatic past. I don't know if I agree with that. When Kate and the team arrive in El Paso for their first mission, Kate learns that the team's workings are not all they appear on the surface. Many of the proceedings, which would not be considered above board or legal, despite the end goal being as she knows it to be. Still largely in the dark and only given information on a need-to-know basis, Kate decides to stick it out with the team, if only to discover all that she is not told while still believing in the end goal. She may have changing or at least mixed emotions as she learns more and more about what's going on, including the specific reason why she was recruited. Thank you, Huggo, from IMDb. So, um, Okay, let's jump into it. You, so the first time you saw us was Redbox. You just explained that. That's awesome. And your reaction was priceless for me. First time I saw this was probably 2016, maybe. Um, And I also saw it on, I think I rented it from Redbox. Um, I liked it. I wasn't blown away by it when I first saw it, uh, but I did like it. And then I hadn't seen it for a very long time. The second time I watched it was probably honestly after talking with you, um, maybe like three years ago when you were mentioning how much you like Sicario. And when it when it was the greatest movie of like 2017. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I was like, you know what? I will give it a shot, I guess. Yeah, around 2018 or something like that, probably. And I bought it on Black Friday because I think it was five bucks for the Blu-ray. And I got a or not the Blu-ray. I got the 4K and uh, got the digital copy and I rewatched it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is actually a really good movie. And that Justin guy, he's uh, he's right sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. What what but, podcast um, number is this one? <laughs> Thirty-five. I don't I've know. been right thirty-five times, <laughs> every single time, <laughs> even when you're wrong. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I remember, and I watched it on my computer coming home from Chicago back in September of last year, and then uh, a couple nights ago, I watched it on my tv and um, my goodness man I, I think i pull something new from this film each time and i just was so giddy and ferociously writing notes about it because it's such a cool movie that's all i can really just say, describe it as just, it's so cool and you're right with all the tension and um, the set pieces and it's it's surprising to see that budget so low but then you kind of look at it you're like oh okay i mean yeah they're filming well i don't think i don't think they had to pay they didn't have to pay the actors because they murdered them on camera. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Everyone just gets murdered in this movie. It's so crazy. There's a lot of extreme violence in this movie. Um, and so I want to talk about the opening scene. I think, and you you touched on this. The opening scene was just, it was fantastic. It's, it's filmed with all this macabre and tension um, and the setting you know, that they're in, it sets the tone for the entire film that you're like, like your reaction, Justin, when you're like, holy shit, what am I watching? I was not expecting them to find all of those bodies in, in the walls. And that was quite frankly, disgusting. I just, you know, it shows all the police officers puking and stuff. That would be my reaction. Cause I could not imagine how awful that would smell, but um, it tells us immediately what we've gotten into. And it just kind of leaves us begging for more answers. So I think that the opening scene is so brilliant in this film. Yes, I concur. You concur. Do you have anything else to add to that? No. Did you uh, did you feel kind of sick watching moments in this movie? Uh, sick? No, not not like not like puke, but you're like, oh god, it's gross. Yeah, I mean, when they go to Juarez, it's pretty gnarly mm-hmm. uh, with the bodies hanging and some of them are decapitated, and I don't know, it's just it's a lot to take in (laughs) i mean this is this isn't something that you see every day but if you live in the united states anyway whereas if you live in juarez it is a very violent city Uh, a friend of mine actually went and volunteered at a rape shelter in juarez in 2011 and he saw some things that i don't care to repeat on this podcast Mm -hmm. and mexico's just i mean there are obviously nice areas but i mean uh, I have been held at gunpoint in Mexico. Um, my friends David and Randy have both been held at gunpoint in Mexico. It is, It has uh, some dangerous elements to it, and uh, it's scary, man. Totally. Yeah. I. But 
making those real world fears and like shedding light on them is something that I think it helps this movie and builds all that suspense and tension is because you're like, shit, this is, uh, I'm sure this stuff is not far off from what actually happens. Oh, I know. That's crazy. I mean, I've probably been to Mexico like 20, 25 times. Mm -hmm. Um, and the last time I was there, um, it was on a cruise, so it wasn't that big of a deal. I just went to like Ensenada, but the time before that, um, you know, I was, I had to get out of my car and I had to sit on the ground and put my hands over my head while they pointed guns at me. And I did not like that. And I told myself I'd never go again. And then I got this free cruise. So I went, but, <laughs> but, but I'm not going back ever again. They say never say never. And that was just too much. After watching this movie and after, after surviving the experience that I did, I just, I am choosing that I am not going to go back. I think that's, I think that's decently wise. Mexico is a really cool country, uh, awesome cities, awesome, awesome history. But yeah, just like, you know, the U.S., there's very bad areas and Juarez looks very dangerous. So right. I don't go to those areas either. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Like Seattle. But oh yeah, um, <laughs> fucking the seedy underbelly of the United States. All the fucking, mob bosses, fucking hippies. All the all the people you see in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They had they had kids and they they live in fucking Seattle. <laughs> dicey, eating pickles totally. out of the dumpster. Totally dicey. Oh god. <laughs> um. So you touched on it too, as I well. Touch on I, a lot. You talk about me touching on things. When I think about you, I touch myself. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, so you you were you were talking about the extreme violence and stuff, and, and I just want to kind of expand on this a little bit more. But why do you think so much time was put into Silvio's backstory, the the police officer, the Federale, because he you know had an untimely demise, and it kind of felt like what the hell? What was the point of even making him an actual character? Um, and I am asking you. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I think because we don't really know what his deal is up until the end there. Uh, we just know that he's a cop, but we don't know what he's involved in. And uh, I don't think it's really revealed until that final scene in the tunnel that he's uh, working for the cartel. And if that's the case, then like anyone else in the cartel, they are expendable and they could die at any moment. And in this case, he had made it quite a ways to where he was able to get married, have a child, have a regular life when he's at home. Uh, you know, he plays soccer with his kid. Um, he has a very good relationship with his son. And just like that, it's over. And I think that that's just heartbreaking. I think that's the real tragedy element that I was referring to earlier was that um, this, this world can just take a life just like that and it'll keep going. And that's just really, really sad. Do you think it's it's kind of this humanizing element too, uh, where you know, in so many action films and stuff, we see bad guy number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and we don't know their backstory. They may be a father, they may be a brother, son, anything like that. Um, do you think that maybe this humanizes him and just sheds light, makes you maybe feel a little more about? being maybe sad that he got shot in the back of the head sure i mean i, I was sad that he died um mm -hmm. but you know the the cartel guys it shows them with families when the one guy gets the phone call to go to the other guy <laughs> when bad guy number two gets a phone call to go see bad guy number one he's <laughs> got kids playing in a pool and then when benicio del toro shows up at the residence uh the head of the cartel is there having dinner with his family his wife and his two kids so they're all family men. We're all family people, right? And we're we like to surround ourselves with with people that we love. And this is a guy sitting at the table, at the head of the table, that has done horrible things and told people to do horrible things. But at the end of the day, he too is just a, someone's father, someone's husband, and and even though their life is no longer valid, the the world just goes on. And I think that's just fucking crazy. Totally. And I mean, he even says it, you know, and it, it's actually really chilling when you when you think about it. But when Fausto, you know, Benicio, Benicio del Toro says to him, you know, you you killed my family. And Fausto says it wasn't personal. He didn't even say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it was like, hey, it was business, basically. Mm -hmm. And knowing that death is knocking on your door and he says that it's just like, oh, my God, you piece of shit. <laughs> but it doesn't justify Benicio to shoot his kids and his wife. I mean, 
it's so interesting because they aren't these, you know, these, these guys aren't these monsters with no families and no ties. And so you don't really need to care if they die. It's you, you have to kind of question your ethics. And I think that's a big theme in the movie is the ethical dilemmas. But uh, I, yeah, I was upset when Silvio died because we don't know if he was a bad guy. He might have just been this might have been the way that you have to do things in Juarez to survive. Um, he may have had to be a drug mule because like he had no other choice. And then he gets a bullet in the back of his head. You know, it's just it was, it was kind of a bummer to, you know, thinking about that. So um, I noticed a lot of similarities uh, in this movie to The Silence of the Lambs. Um, I think that, you know, you have this tough, tough up and coming FBI agent who's a female and they kind of have to prove something in this male dominated industry. Uh, they're constantly being looked down like I, I don't know about you, but I got kind of creeped out and and annoyed when she is in the FBI office when Kate is there and it's the the round table of med it's when we first meet Josh Brolin and they pull her into the office and they're all just like staring at her but there's a couple guys who are just looking at her real creepily not like sexually but kind of just maybe doubting her abilities and stuff and it just felt very very judgmental so I, I I'm, I'm sure it was intentional but that's that's similar to a shot in um the silence of the lambs when when uh, Starling is looking up and the camera's positioned from, I believe her point of view where she's looking up and everyone is looking down at her. Right. So it feels like a male dominated world. Like what is she doing sort of thing? And that's, I got, I got a lot of that vibe in this movie. Right. I think that's fair. Um, So Taylor Sheridan, there's been some back and forth on if it's true or not. People were saying, that originally the main character was written as a male, but he changed it to a female. Um, He came out and said, no, that's not accurate. It's always been a female. Uh, Do you think this movie could have worked with a male protagonist? Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I think Emily Blunt brings a lot to the table and whether it be her or some other female, um, I think that's a good thing. I think I like the idea of her, being thrown in this horrible world and coming out on top. And she, you know, she has the house raids and stuff, but that's like, that's, that's elementary can compared to all these high risk. Oh yeah. Wars runs, you know? Right. And she is 100% out of, out of her element. Any, any human being that doesn't do this on a regular is 100% out of their element. Even the, the people that, you know, they, they, they literally have people that just got back from Afghanistan that are doing these runs to go to Juarez. So, I mean, they need people that are like seasoned vets that have seen like hell and, and made it back. And she isn't quite there yet. And yeah. I don't think I don't know who could ever be ready for something like this. But I mean, she makes it out. Thank God. But um, I mean, it's just horrible. And everyone knows that <laughs> right. it is it is awful, and they all need to be on their A game. And and when you see the the border scene, and you just see how amazing these people are at what it is that they do, you're just like, holy shit, dude! This is this is a world that I do not want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I want to save that because I do want to talk about that border scene, but just real quick. Um, so I think that uh, you know Taylor Sheridan is quoted as say, uh, saying that Kate's ability to follow the letter of the law was unwavering and that if if it were a male they would have been more inclined to state that the ends justify the means so what i what i basically mean is when josh brolin after the tunnel scene explains what's going on and how if you know the the drug war is fine if you can convince 20 percent of the population to stop using drugs um, but that's not going to happen. So right now they're like, look, we have to just control it. That's all we can really ask for. Now, you can easily argue for for either way. And as a male watching it, I was more on Josh Brolin's side and I get it. But she was like, no, this is bullshit. I'm sticking to my guns. This is not right. And I think that having because let's be honest, women can have way clearer heads than men. Oh, probably sure. Probably 99 percent of the time. And so she would not waver from that. And I really, really appreciated that. It yeah. was her big it was her biggest strength, but it was also her biggest weakness. She let her guard down a lot. She was not looking at the big, big picture of it, maybe. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's very, very interesting. But 
Emily Blunt, I can't think of a better actress to portray this role just because this is when Emily Blunt really started kind of picking up and uh, man. Yeah. She's phenomenal in this, in this film. Mm-hmm. Kate. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about that uh, border scene then. So I pulled a Justin Cavender and I looked at the the time mark. It starts at the 24 minute mark of the film. So 24 minutes in, you're already engaged and you already have arguably one of the greatest scenes in film history. And I'm just going to say that because I absolutely love this border scene. Um, it is perfectly paced. It's filled with tension throughout the entire thing. Uh, it subverts the the gripes of a typical action shootout. You know, it's not going to be a thousand rounds fired by each side and they're ducking and jumping over cars and pulling hot fuzz things and whatever. Right. Uh, like, uh, like in the movie heat when they're, yes. when they rob the bank question, the 24 minutes, is that from when there's the car has stopped to get back to the United States or is that when they cross through the border to go get Guillermo? So, so the entire sequence takes 13 and a half minutes. And so it starts at the 24 uh, minute mark. And what happens is they, just finished the debriefing and or the the yeah the debriefing before they start the mission she talks to alejandro and then it shows a the black starts cars with, right the convoy yep, yep, okay yeah so 24 started, minutes starts with the convoy okay got it yeah it starts with that helicopter shot um showing the road and then yeah the convoy and from there it just keeps building this tension and you're you're forced to watch everything around you. Like there's this one when, when they get stopped, the, the convoy gets stopped in an alley and they hear gunfire. Uh, they show a side shot of Benicio and behind him is a, is a screen door and you can't see behind it. Like it's a black hallway. I was so anticipating for that door to just swing open and someone pull a gun out right there. Like that was that stuff that they kept building. I was, I was scared, <laughs> scared on my own. So I thought it was so, so well done. Um, you question every person or slight movement that you feel and see around you. Um, it, you know, it, it took that 13 and a half minutes total, but it felt like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And, and I especially that that- when they showed like the federalities and like they're wearing like those, those, uh, head sock type things, you know, and you just see their eyes and they're wearing helmets and you're like, Oh man, any one of these guys could totally just be a rat and just complicate things. Well, and they even say that too. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, we have a, a a car on the left who's like pacing us or scoping us, and then you know Emily Blunt sees it after a few blocks, and then it's gone. Right. So obviously, you can't trust all the federales, but their goal is like, look, we got to get this guy across the border as fast as possible. Everything is going to plan, and then even Del Toro says, Not, "We're safe here. Nothing's going to happen at this extraction point. It'll be at the border." Mm-hmm. Sure as shit, they get to the border and they're in gridlock traffic. And then, um, real quick, uh, Jeffrey Donovan he plays uh, this sort of hotshot guy named Steve uh, Forcing, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't know quite what to make of this guy. You're like, is he just all talk? Is you know, what's his deal? Josh Brolin obviously has a good relationship with him, a good rapport. Um, but it's on this scene where he clocks the, you know, they clock the the car. It's like an Impala or something that's that's mm-hmm. got a bunch of scary gangster dudes in it. And when he gets out there and he points the gun at him, it's it's his character that probably kills every person in that car. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> like, he gets off, like four shots in just like a second. And you're just like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> and I, I really like that. It it showed that he was there and he means business and he is just as good as anybody else because you didn't know what to make of him at first and you know do i like this guy do i not like him and then i think that scene for me just sort of sealed the deal like oh man this guy's fucking badass and just how calm cool and collected they all are with it you know they're making jokes they're chewing gum and here we are as a viewer we're with kate we're like what the hell is going to happen what are we expecting yeah the audience is very much in kate shoes the entire movie we have no idea what's going on and it's literally not until the end there when they're in the hotel room and they discover that, you know, this, they realize that the CIA can't operate within U.S. borders without a domestic agency attached. And they're literally just being used. That is yep. the entire purpose. It's not necessarily for her to learn. It's maybe for her to see and get another perspective. But ultimately, they are being used. Mm-hmm. And um, so with that, 
with uh, Mr. Burn Notice when he gets out of the car and you know he shoots up that that Impala or whatever. Um, you're expecting because you know they they clock him and it's so funny because like you and I with our our loss prevention skills watching certain things and and visual cues that maybe other people don't pick up on. I mean that was so cool that they they made those cars and you know he's like bullet your service pistol and they're they see which which ones are like oh see a gun. So you have this moment of, of tension and you're like, there's this, this is going to be a huge shootout, right? Like mm-hmm. the other, the other side's going to get a few shots off and then some other um, like good guys are going to get killed or something, but Nope, it, it, it starts and it ends within seconds. Yeah, and it's pretty um, awesome. <laughs> it is. It is side, side note. Yeah. Um, if you have a neck tattoo, people are going to judge. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I mean, you do what you got to do with your body, your choice, but if you have a face or neck tattoo, people are going to judge. Also, if you have a gun, people might judge you as well. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but man, I just I I want to show that to to anybody and just gauge their reaction and put like a heart rate monitor on them because I was man, I was so tense even just watching it this last time, knowing exactly what happens. It's it's unbelievable. Um, well, I think. So it's interesting you say that because I think it's really you have to start from the beginning because it sets the tone. Right. Um, everything from the wrecking crew just going through the front door uh, to her almost getting killed with a shotgun to the bodies in the wall to the bomb in the shed to where you have so many questions and you have no idea what's going on. You just know that the cartel is involved and it's bad news bears. And and just to to be in her shoes the entire movie and having no clue what's happening and who to trust and what's okay. What's not okay. The right way of doing things, the wrong way of doing things. And then Josh Brolin's way of doing things. And it's so crazy. It's it. And the thing is, it's so crazy that you, you have to believe that this happens every single day. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. <laughs> well, and, and how they just like, they casually shoot these people in front of everyone and just, right away like nothing happened you know josh brolin continues wearing his sandals and it's just it's so insane with with how fluid they are with this because violence is that way of life and i think that that's a a big central theme in this too um so something that was traumatic to kate to those guys who had been doing this time and time again they're like whatever man this is just standard operating procedure Mm -hmm. so uh, but yes, I absolutely love that that scene. It is one of my favorite in film history, easily. Um, so when they have Guillermo in the in the interrogation room, and Alejandro goes in there, um, burn notice because I keep forgetting his name, Billy something. He, uh, you know, he's like, ah, I'm going to leave, and turns off the camera. Uh, his name's what, Steve in the movie. <laughs> there you go. What do you think Alejandro did to Guillermo? Oh gosh, I don't know. I. I mean, I was under the impression that there was like waterboarding, but you know how he gets really close and right up in his face mm-hmm. uh, with his uh, waist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if he's if he's raping him or or what. There's there's some noise and some grunting, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually raping him. It's not. There's nothing. You know, he's not attracted to this man. He's just dominating this man and telling yeah. him that he is nothing. He is literally nothing and that his ass literally belongs to him. Yikes. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope he's just putting a lot of water in his belly, <laughs> as he says. Uh yeah, filling his belly up with yeah. water. I don't I don't know. Torture's terrible. I don't I don't condone it. It is bad. To me, torture is 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 not uh it's hard to watch. It's hard to stomach. I hate it. I hate like any time a movie where someone's getting like nails ripped off or teeth pulled out or or hands chopped off or whatever the case is gross. I hate body horror or anything. Me too. And and one of the saving graces for this is that uh, it takes the camera away. So we don't uh, we don't get to see it. We're not privy to it. We know that something horrible is happening. Just like Emily Blunt, you know, she's there. She's in the complex. She's in the compound, but she's not aware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the movie does a pretty good job of showing us uh, like her perspective the entire time. Totally. We're in the dark about it um, as well. And yeah, I, I think 
the torture scene, it, it makes it even almost scarier going into it, not knowing what happened because you're like, this is obviously a, he he's a number three in, in the Mexican cartel. And he just divulged all this information to Alejandro. So what the hell Alejandro is a bad dude. He was mm-hmm. able to get this confession from this guy. How did he do it? He didn't just beg him. He like did something to him. So I think that just adds to the, the scariness of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Ooh, actually, I think I skipped that one. Oh, so this is a absolutely beautiful film to to watch, and it is because Roger Deakins is the greatest cinematographer of all time. <laughs> is that accurate? Is my statement accurate that he is the greatest cinematographer of all time? Uh, he's pretty good. Here's here is his uh, <laughs> he, he, here here are his greatest hits in my opinion: Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. Fargo, Big Lebowski. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? The Village. No Country for Old Men. The Assassination of Jesse James by the co- coward Robert Ford. Skyfall. Which that movie is terrible, by the way. Which one? Assassination? Yeah, it's so bad. I don't I don't mind it. It's like looking at a painting, though. It's really slow. That's so boring. Yeah. Uh, Prisoners. Blade Runner 2049. And 1917. He only has two Oscar wins under his belt with that insanely good resume. Mm-hmm. Um, for Blade Runner 2049 and 1917, which blows me away because No Country for Old Men is one of my favorite uh, Coen Brother films, and I think that is such a delight. And I I see a lot of Sicario in that film, or vice versa. Um, but yeah, he um, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he's able to shoot these things. You know, um, it's it's just insane to me, <laughs> like absolutely insane to me. But uh, he's he's my pick for for greatest cinematographer of all time. But I'm a nobody, so I don't really need. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, he's really good. He's really good. What what was your favorite visual like scene in the entire film? Not necessarily like the action scene or whatever, but like the favorite cinematic to look at. Sure, um, I like it when the sun's setting and they they're about to go into the tunnel and it's all blue and you just see the silhouettes walking towards the um, the old car. I think that's fantastic. That's probably my favorite scene. That's my favorite scene. I think that is so beautifully shot and you catch it right at sundown um, because that's almost like your last bit of, of, hey, this is going to be okay. And you have no idea what's going to happen after that. Right. And I really like um, the tunnel when they're Mm -hmm. actually going through the tunnel. Uh, We don't know what's happening. Just like they don't know what's happening. It's hard to see. Uh, It's just chaos. I think that's great. Um, it's a visual representation of chaos, and I think they do a pretty good job. Um, everything in Juarez, um, whether it be the aerial shots, the in-car shots, uh, chasing the cars, following the cars, um, everything in Juarez, I think is fantastic. Totally. And I really like uh, that they use things like drones and and helicopters and stuff from their perspective to kind of see what's going on. Like when Alejandro at the end of the film is going through Fausto's house and, you know, he's like six left, six hostels or whatever. He's counting down from up top like he has that aerial support. It's just uh, really, really cool in a different perspective. Yeah, it's it's uh, surgical. I think it's a good word. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. clockwork. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so towards the film's climax, we discover that Guillermo works as a hitman alongside. Wait, what did I write? Guillermo? No, sorry. We discover that Alejandro works as a hitman alongside Matt as they try to seek order by controlling the Mexican cartel rather than eradicating it. Uh, Matt gives the rationale of being uh, of of order of the cartel being a stopgap for a drug drug epidemic that seemed incurable. Um, is is he correct in this that you should if you can't get that 20 percent to stop doing drugs, stop doing coke and other things, then you need to just control it. Like, do you agree with that? Uh, I mean, I, I can't even pretend to understand how that works. Um, I I guess on some degree, hearing him say it, that probably makes sense. But I think that control is like in Jurassic Park, an illusion. (laughs) I don't think that you could really control something like that. And uh, they even make the point about, you know, cutting off the head and and 
watching all this horrible shit happen and more people like, you know, vie for power and everything. You don't know what the next person's going to do. And, and they obviously learn from their mistakes and that they're going to, it's just going to up the ante. So I don't see how it helps, but um, I am ignorant when it comes to uh, controlling a Mexican drug cartel. (laughs) I was absent that day in in college when we learned that. (laughs) But I I think that you are just as naive as Kate to think that you could control that. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in in a sense, I'm I mean I'm with you. In a sense, I think Matt's correct. Like I I get his reasoning and his logic behind it, and he seems like a guy who knows what he's talking about with just everything how how it's worked out and how this is planned and all the information he knows. Um, he always seems like he's a, a few steps ahead of Kate on on everything. Um. And, and that scene after they kidnap Guillermo, you know, you cut off a chicken's head, all hell breaks loose. You want to see some fireworks? They go over there and she's like, oh, my God, just there's explosions, there's gunfire, you know, hours after they just took Guillermo from from Mexico. It's it's insane. So more people just keep populating when that happens, like like you were saying, um, if you were able to somehow convince that 20 percent to stop taking those drugs then yeah, you'd have a solution. But again, that's in a perfect in a perfect world. And that is a pipe dream that is very, very hard to do. And I think that's what a lot of people uh, criticize the war on drugs for. They're like, you, you do understand that this will be damn near impossible to do. I, I think a, a big element of this was violence, like I was saying. And Juarez being so different than Chandler, Arizona, or the places that we are, you know, Kate wanted so badly to do something bigger. But she was not ready for this extreme layer of violence. Right. And who is? It's crazy. Well, Josh Brolin is, but <laughs> uh, some things just require that extreme necessary action to complete, you know, the tasks regardless of ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we think we know dark times, but someone will always know worse. Dark so, times, Harry. Dark times. Dark times. But uh, I, I think that that's the reason why this film is so extreme is because they're Villanueva is not painting the, the drug trade as something that's like fun or, or manageable or entertaining. He's like, dude, it is, it is very, very gruesome. And you could, you could be eating dinner with your family and all of a sudden a Sicario comes up to you and shoots you and your, your family. Um, it is, it is such an interesting thing to look at and kind of dissect. I do think that, uh, I think Emily Blunt can hold her own, obviously. Um, I really wanted her to defend herself better against John Bernthal, though. That kind of was a bummer. But I love how she was just so witty and knew. I guess witty wouldn't be the right term, but she had her wits about her and saw like that rubber band and put two and two together. And uh, so I think the reason why he was able to get the drop on her, other mm-hmm. than him just having like brute strength is they make the point of showing how tired she is. And she's mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. She mm-hmm. is not at her best during that confrontation. Um, you know, Her partner, someone that she cares deeply about, is literally telling her that she looks like shit and that she's exhausted and that she needs a break from all of this. Yeah. And she did. She let her guard down. That's what yeah. that, you know, that was. So, um, And it happened so fast. I mean, he he caught on to it, too. And she didn't really have much of a choice. So, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty intense scene too. I was not expecting Shane to, to overpower her like that. So, yeah, but, um, that's, uh, that's all I really have to say. Um, I, I really love this movie. Um, what about you? Love it. A plus. A plus plus. I'm also going to give it an A plus. Um, I think it is a cinematic beauty, and I think that it is fantastic. I watched it uh, in 4K on my own for my own library. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. It currently. was for the longest time, but I don't think so either. I had I luckily I, I mean I own it just like you, so I, right. I looked out. But um, holy shit, it's usually not more than like ten bucks, and it is worth it. You will get some mileage out of this. I think HD Movie Codes has it on sale for pretty cheap. Oh, okay. Um, it's on FX now. 
So if you guys have FX, uh, you can stream it on FX now for free. Is it censored? Uh, um, no, FX now has actual um, movies, real movies <laughs> in their entirety. So <laughs> real ones. Real. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. That's all I got. Uh, I'm really glad we did this one. I hope it made you happy. Uh, thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at ZachDale60, and at EdgyArmo. Uh, you will see that we are very engaging with our listeners. I love it when you guys tweeted us telling us how wrong we are, how amazing we are, or just how full of shit Zach is, because I really like those ones. I will like and favorite those forever and only turn to. If there is a motion picture show that you would like us to talk about, feel free to uh, throw it our way. Um, and I think that's about it. Um, Zach, you have a wonderful time in Mordor. I can't wait to see you in a couple weeks. And the rest of you guys, just don't be crazy. Thank you so much. Adios. Adios.